Recorded live from a place of increasing uncertainty and despair, this is Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. On the 1st of December this year, three judges in the United Kingdom ruled that children under the age of 16 were unable to provide informed consent regarding their gender dysphoria. Bell versus Tavistock's case has imposed draconian restrictions on the therapies allowed for transgender and gender nonconforming youth. Every child in the United Kingdom who suffers from gender dysphoria, even those currently on puberty blockers and hormone replacement therapy, now has to petition the court to start or continue their treatment. We'll be talking with Dr. Katherine Greenberg, Director of Gender Health Services at the University of Rochester Medical Center, to get her views on the appropriate treatment for trans and gender expansive youth after our traditional music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes and change isn't good or bad, it just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one, the coins, money, about how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses. And by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I am Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. Let me start today's podcast with a quote. Because many trans and gender diverse youth experience stigma and discrimination from the society they live in, providers of adolescents, trans, and gender diverse young adult health should encourage family support for their children. There is growing evidence of the positive influence of caregiver support and affirmation of a child's gender identity on trans and gender diverse youth health outcomes, such as life satisfaction, depressive symptoms, substance use, and suicidality. That's from the article Promoting Health Equity and Non-Discrimination for Transgender and Gender Diverse Youth, published in the Journal for Adolescent Health. The lead author of that paper, Dr. Katherine Greenberg, is our guest today. As the Director of Gender Health Services at the University of Rochester Medical Center here in Rochester, New York, Dr. Greenberg deals with transgender youth on a daily basis in light of the court ruling in the Tavistock case in the United Kingdom and growing fears of misconceptions here in the United States over the treatment offered to these children. We ask Dr. Greenberg to join us today. Dr. Greenberg, welcome to Transformation Thursday. How are you? And thank you, Penny and Amy, for having me. 
Um, and I said, oh. Kate Greenberg, just to make sure that people aren't confused. Okay, how do you want us to address you, uh, Kate? Kate is fine. Okay, yeah. thanks, Kate. All right, so um, th that paper, uh, we, you talked about how treating uh, gender diverse and transgender students, is that TGD, is that the abbreviation that you were using in that? The phrase that I like is transgender and gender diverse, because one of the other things that we're seeing is just a growing um, identification of um, an acknowledgement of non-binary folks. And so for me, especially when I think about youth and I'm really a developmentalist, right? Mm -hmm. I think about developing an identity that's diverse and unique to you potentially. So I use the phrase transgender and gender diverse. Yeah, how many uh, in, at, at the center, how many children uh, and youth do you treat uh, or are you currently treating? Have you treated in the past? Whatever number you wanna throw at me. Yeah, well, that's, it's been an amazing time to be doing this work. We definitely started in 2012 with just a handful of patients, and we actually see folks through age 26. And so um, at that time, most of our patients were older. And in the last, however many years that is, eight years, the practice has really grown. We have the privilege of working with and helping families and youth from Watertown to Jamestown, kind of all over the sort of central Western New York area. Um, and I believe we're at over 400 uh, youth and families served annually. Wow, and that then, is amazing. Yeah, the, the cumulative number over the years, I actually don't know off the top of my head. No, that's, that's still very impressive. So you have a very unique perspective on the treatment of transgender youth. When you saw, first off, I'm assuming uh, you're familiar with the Tavistock ruling in the United Kingdom. Uh, yes. what, what's going on over there? Uh, where I believe, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically a, a three panel judge, a group of judges ruled that children uh, and, and young adults who are going through, uh, who, are, who, who view themselves as gender diverse uh, are no longer allowed to receive medical treatment without first appealing to a court? Is that kind of close to what it is? Well, and I wish I were a legal expert because I don't understand enough of the structures of the National Health Service or um, the legal implications in England. Their, their structure of care is very different than ours. Um, but they essentially um, cast doubt on the ability of anyone under the age of 16 um, to really make their own medical decisions. And anyone under the age of 13 or 14 to assent to care. Wow. Um, and I, I know enough about the systems worldwide to know that they operate very similarly to the ways that we operate. I'm the physician who prescribes medications, but I'm actually kind of the last stop, right? We've got um, family affirming youth and having incredibly important and intimate conversations with their children. We have uh, mental health providers often. Um, I always say that transitioning at any age is a heroic task, but the younger you are and the more we're thinking about safe development, the more important support is an affirmation from a therapist, a family therapist, an art therapist, right? Whoever it is that can help that young person kind of uh, work through their emotions. Um, Often school systems have input into this, right? I mean, there's a tremendous number of people that go into the care of a young person. I think often about creating safe nests 
So school needs to be a nest, family needs to be a nest, the doctor's office needs to be a nest, right? In which we can really support young people and help them make the best choices that they can for themselves. Um, and the idea of not, folks not being able to consent for puberty blockers until I think it was at least 14 um, in the ruling as it was handed down without the intervention of a court um, really sort of obviates the need, the use of puberty blockers. They're a valuable, valuable tool because while you know this court may have doubts about the ability of young people to consent to treatment, I can tell you that a young transgender person going through the wrong puberty is the only person that knows how much they're suffering in that body. Yeah, and that, that brings up, that's that's a, a lot of the crux of that revolves around informed consent and none of us here are legal experts. So I don't, I don't think we wanna get dragged into that, but maybe can you walk through, let's say you have that 10, 11 year old gender diverse, maybe transgender um, person in front of you, you know, what does that process look like here in the United States? So let's speak to our wheelhouse, you know, you know, what is that, what does that 10, 11 year old and how does that work in conjunction with their parents? And then on the backside, maybe their parents aren't as supportive, but then again, are they really in front of you if they're coming from an unsupportive home anyway? Exactly. Well, that's one of the things that I work with colleagues in pediatrics a lot about um, is having sort of a, a gateway to talking about gender diversity in any healthcare setting, right? So with general pediatricians, with school nurses, with school-based health centers, right? Like where are the spaces in which a kid has trusted adults? And do those adults feel prepared to engage in that conversation and be as supportive and affirming as young people are figuring some things out? So yeah, folks don't tend to come to me unless their parents are with them. Um, and many families reach out to us, even though I said I'm kind of the last stop, will reach out to us first and go, oh my goodness, you know, this thing just happened with my kid. What do I do? Um, when the child is five or six or seven. And the answer at that age, which is supported by the research, is really do what you can. I call it turning down the temperature on the stove. If the pot is boiling over and bubbling up the top and people are getting splashed and hit and burned, how do we turn it down? How do we turn down the boil to a simmer so that everyone can kind of think calmly and be successful at life? What does your kid need to be in school successfully? Because school is the job of a kid. And how do we meet those needs? Medical needs typically come much later. Um, and the, the process of blockers is really a holistic decision. Uh, made with the best interest of this young person and listening to what they're saying to us at heart. So nothing is started before puberty actually begins. So parents may have lots of these anticipatory conversations with their kid along the way, but we don't actually offer any medical intervention until they need it. Yeah, so we have young people who are early bloomers, young people who are late bloomers, right? Just depending on when their own biological puberty is going to turn on. Yeah, the, the early children, and that's a lot of the scare tactics early, I mean, 
four or five years old, you know, and we've had guests on this podcast that have spoken to that. So I don't want to get too far, but that's, that's purely social transition at that time. There's no medical intervention at that time, but you know, you know, me working on my mental health counseling degree, this is my area of specialty where I'm actually researching right now. And that mental health side of it is so important. And we see suicidality rates, you know, 40% attempts, 90% ideation in some of these teenage years with, with suicide ideation. So how do you walk parents through those conversations in conjunction with your partners in the mental health council, you know, in mental health settings? Well, that's, and I'm really grateful for the close partnership that we have with a lot of um, school service providers, mental health service providers. Um, because the goal with the advent of, of blockers and with carefully selected patients and supported patients and families is to really have a generation of, of transgender people who didn't go through those experiences that can lead to such a high rate of suicidality later in life. And we can see that in a couple different ways. There are studies showing that young people who are socially transitioned have sort of developmentally typical levels of anxiety or depression when compared with their siblings who are not transgender. Um, and we can see when we look back that when we look at large groups of transgender adults, the precious few who had access to puberty blockers at an appropriate time have better self-reported mental health, you know, 20 years after the blockers or however long it was. So we, we can see in a couple of different directions that social transition and when appropriate blockers are hopefully going to really turn the tide of that wave of, of suicidality and, and mental health struggles that we can see in older populations. Um, including teenagers who didn't have access to the things that they needed when they were a little bit younger. And so, you know, parents come in, sorry, I want to go back to your question. Um, oh, parents, please do. parents come in, we have a really frank conversation um, and we have a really important conversation with a young person about what these medications are, what they mean, um, what their own hopes for their future would be, what the current changes that they're seeing related to puberty have, what impact those are having their ability to kind of just be a successful kid. And then the blockers are the idea that we are buying time. They're 100% reversible. They're very safe. Um, and that we're going to buy some time. And so the, the young people that wind up going on to blockers, and not everyone who sees me by any stretch, um, goes on to any further medical intervention. Really, a lot of folks come to see me to talk about the reality because the buzz out there, the word on the street can be so um, polarized and hard to understand. But for those folks that choose to go on to blockers with their families, it's with a clear um, belief from the patient, the family, the school, myself, uh, the mental health providers, that this will buy us some time in which this young person is not kind of being tortured by puberty. Yeah, that was their fully reversible uh, biological puberty is not. Yeah, that's you, 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 it's like every time I open my mouth, it's like you, you jump in and you answer the question that I'm about to ask. Because the, the phrase that keeps on being thrown around by people who have a, uh, a fear reaction to all this is irreversible. And how much irreversibility is there in all of these things for these kids? And it's, from everything that I've heard, it is it, just like you said, it is unless there's like some serious surgery going on, which I think almost never happens. Uh, it's, it's nothing that they're doing is irreversible. Yeah. And that's, I think the other really important piece 
Um, and one of the things that makes, I mean, I think that my reading of what the court in England did was take blockers off the table unless you have judges um, consent to your having blockers. So sort of regardless of what the young person, their family, their mental health provider might need, they have to go and, and speak about that with a panel of judges before the doctors can provide it. Um, you know, they are temporizing measures, right? You, we, the goal with blockers is to temporarily suspend puberty. And we have decades of experience with this in young people whose puberty simply turns on too early. They've been using similar medications for a very long time in other pediatric conditions where we need to pause puberty until a more appropriate time. And again, if, if the young person is, comes to me having fully socially transitioned, having started some puberty and saying, you know, this puberty thing's not that bad. I might be okay with this. I'm good with where I am. And that happens. Then they don't need blockers, right? It's really reserved for the kids who, whose social or psychological function is gonna be markedly impact by going, impacted by going through their, their biological puberty. And some of the big scare tactics also revolve around detransition. And so, yeah. in, so, you know, when we look at people, mathematically speaking, detransition is a reality. And, you know, the, and I know a few people that have attempted it, but it always seem to go right back onto their hormones. But I'm, I know there, the numbers support, there are some out there who detransition. But I mean, how do you walk through that process to really work with youth to make sure that the people that are going on hormones, people, especially the hormones, and because as you get older, then surgical interventions start to get spoken about a little bit more. And, you know, and I think we're all working towards areas where we don't want somebody to regret these decisions, but how do you work with people who, you know, how do you make sure the right people are getting the right medications? And I know that's a tricky subject, but, you know, when I think about this as I'm in my counseling program, that's like one of my biggest concerns is like, I want to make sure I get the right people to the right solutions. I mean, I think about that all the time, right? I wouldn't be an ethical provider if I wasn't thinking about, um, you know, facilitating people's needs, right? And, and meeting the needs that folks express to me, but then also um, thinking through the longevity of these effects. And, and again, blockers don't have long effects, right? Um, it's when I start folks on hormones at later ages. It's when we talk about surgeries, right? Those are the things that are, um, irreversible blockers are reversible, but, and I, and I have to say too, I read the, the story of the young person at the center of the case in England with such empathy. That seems like a young person who has really had a, um, sort of tortured experience with a lot of things, um, including the decision to detransition. Um, but the other piece that I read in the story of the young person in England was, um, the idea that they would have gotten hormones from me, looking back at the things that they said and the mental health support that they had and all of the processes that they went through. Um, and that's one person who it sounds like had some other things going on and some um, changes in their reality and their own sense of self. That's not the majority of people, right? We expect yep. cisgender little kids at three or four or two, right? to state that they're a girl or they're a boy and that that identity is gonna follow them for the rest of their lives. It's when young people tell us things about their gender that challenge us, that we wonder if it's stable, we wonder if they know, we wonder if it's a phase. Um, and it's important to note that we don't do any of these interventions, certainly nothing permanent um, or irreversible 
until kids are older and more cognitively mature. Um, but gosh, I have two daughters who I'm pretty sure are going to be daughters for the rest of their lives because they've had ample opportunity to tell me if that's not how they feel, right? Um, and, no, and no one questions their right to know that. Yeah, I just muted the yell at my two daughters to be quiet. So that's, you know, so they're definitely going to be daughters too, as far as I know. My I yell at my son to like, be quiet, so I don't know if that's a gendered thing or not. But go ahead. I'm uh, sorry, Dr. No, my, my husband's pretty sure they're cis. Um, and I'm like, well, it's puberty. Like, we'll see. We'll see. I still have a slight bit of reserve, but, but no one questions the ability of a cisgender kid to say that they're cis and to know it. Yeah, that's the thing that bothers me most about this is that no one's actually talking to anybody, any of the kids who are going through this other than the, the, the one who had an issue with it and the parent of another. There were people who were saying, well, I did this and this is my story. And there were experts saying, well, I work with these kids. And, and that idea that, oh, we're doing this for their own good without actually asking them or or finding out from them what their own good really is, is the most frustrating part. And I don't think there's a question here. There's just, this is just me venting my frustration at the whole thing, knowing that at eight years old, I knew who I was. And the only reason that I didn't know before this is because, you know, this was 1967 and there really wasn't much terminology for any of this. Um, so to, to, to not, listen to and trust the children and the the fact that you have basically made your career doing that is what i find very encouraging and so what would you tell um parents who come to you with these with these things where i'm just doing this th the best for my kid and that's why i don't want them around you you know i have this incredible empathy for our parents as well um it is a hard thing because while there is more language now than there was when you were eight um, it's not everywhere. And our, our understanding, our honest cultural conversations about gender sort of period, much less uh, diverse gender identities or folks who are transgender um, is still not great. And so a lot of the families that I see don't have a context in which to sort of understand the experience of their kids. And that's really, really hard. Um, but I do, um, I do also really try to promote this idea, and this is with all the young people that I care for of any gender, um, that we are making decisions with our children rather than for them, right? And so that particularly as folks enter the adolescent years, um, taking their voice into account is huge. What we're doing is raising adults, um, not just people that are going to be in suspended teenagerhood for the rest of their lives. And so um, it requires some really honest conversations. It requires that we listen to and respect children and youth in a way that's not always, um, certainly was not always a part of our upbringing as parents. Right. Um, and so it really, it requires a frame shift and I'm happy to work with my patients and their families and their school systems and their Nana, you know, um, however long it takes for folks to be able to have those honest conversations. I'm sure you've had this conversation in the past, and this is one that I, I'm struggling to learn to have. And, you know, in some of my classes, there are some people that have expressed anti-trans sentiments and how, how, you know, let's say you do meet with that parent who's hesitant. They're there in front of you, but they're really hesitant. And mm -hmm. 
how do you begin to have that conversation with them to say, okay, you know, to let the child lead this, to trust their child and what they're expressing to them, balancing sometimes faith, culture, family background, but yet how do you incorporate the science and your experience into this to facilitate that trust, to let that child really be heard? Well, and that's hard. And, and parent-child relationships come in all kinds of packages, right? So I've had um, young people who's um, always who have always had a low level of conflict with their parents, right? And who have been holding this thing in. And now that it's out, it's weird and awkward to talk about. And their parents kind of don't get it. And that's a relatively straightforward thing. I say, you guys need to have some more conversations, right? I validate that this happens. I recommend resources. I say, gosh, I just think it's really important, um, young person, that you help your parent understand what it is that you're going through. Because you're asking them to help make some really big decisions on your behalf. And they got to know where you're coming from. And so family therapy, right? We just, we recommend all kinds of things to really help that narrative along. How, how can this family communicate differently with their kid? Mm-hmm. And I'll observe, you know, if you aren't communicating around this, you're going to have a really hard time communicating around anything. So if, if you all aren't investing the time and sort of having these conversations, a lot of stuff isn't going to move forward around your relationship and how you engage with each other. Um, and then when I have parents who have a sort of history of a conflict with their child, right? A sort of conflicted relationship, one where they don't necessarily go in with a lot of mutual trust and respect. There's love there, right? But the pattern of even having real conversations isn't there. Then there's sort of even more of that to do, right? To say, I really need to listen to each other. And if the kid's being a little jerk, I'm like, okay, you got to stop that. You're asking your parent to understand some really important stuff about you, right? And then to the parent, you know, we got to, we got to work on this because I, I don't, I don't feel that your child, your child is telling me they're not feeling as safe communicating with you around this as you'd like for them to. And it really all, I frame it within that parent-child relational context. So whatever you need for me, I'm here. Come back and let me know. I'll meet with you as many times as you need me to. But really, this is about your family and your parent-child relationship. And you all are um, going to kind of determine where that goes. You sound like a very caring and patient ear for all of these children and their parents. Uh, so I, I, I'm just glad that you're doing this. I'm glad that we got a chance to, to, to meet you and to know you. Um, and uh, we thank you for your time here on Transformation Thursday. I, I wish you nothing but success um, in the future, not only for you, but for all the kids that you have to deal with going forward. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. And we'll be right back with a few more thoughts uh, after this break. This is Transformation Thursday. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to transformationthursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google 
Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review. It's free and it does help get Transformation Thursday out to a larger audience. Finally, Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material. All rights reserved 2020. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her. Hey, real quick, Penny, we need to make a little editorial correction here. Oh yeah, what? Well, we were talking in, in the intro, you mentioned that Dr. Uh, Kate Greenberg is was the lead author. She's actually one of the co-authors of that position paper. And, you know, spending a lot of time doing research in these things and doing my own research pretty soon. Yeah, we just want to make sure that she doesn't take the credit for stuff, but she's yeah. she was a co-author on that paper. Yeah, she she was a, a co-author, not the lead. I was like, she was the first one on the list, so I, I assume that meant she was the uh, the 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 actual author. And sorry about that, Kate. Uh, I I sometimes say stupid things. Oh, and uh, oh, by the way, speaking of stupid things, uh, oh, let's. God. Wanna, what? What? Yeah, I know where we're going with this, so I'm already dreading. Yeah, hang on. Speaking of stupid things, let's take a listen to this. If you're a parent, if you actually have raised children, you know what you're seeing is ventriloquism. Four-year-olds don't make decisions like that. They can't. And yet across the country, many small children are being given puberty blockers and irreversibly damaging their bodies. Of course, some of them later regret it. It's grotesque. If you say that out loud, you're punished. Target will ban your book, you'll have trouble getting a job. This isn't just one parent abusing a child on TV. This is a nationwide, we're going to use the word epidemic, and everyone is too embarrassed to mention it. You're not allowed to say so. Okay, that was everybody's favorite idiot, Tucker Carlson, on Fox TV completely misinterpreting uh, what was going on with a child in an HBO uh, documentary season series about transgender children. Um, and yeah, he's... You know, to me, this sounds like the opening volley and uh, it's people trying to do similar things to what happened in the UK, where they're going to try and severely limit transgender youth's accessibility, access to um, to, to health care and to, uh, to life-saving procedures and, uh, and therapies. And it's just, you know, it's just like yet another, another shot across the bow. Yeah, and I actually took some notes on this stuff. And so I want to dissect that 34 second clip because it's it's just it's just these we talked about this so much on this podcast over the last year. It is this it it's a Facebook sniff test. Somebody scrolls through something, they see a headline, they hear it, they hear a clip, and they're like, Oh yeah, that passes a sniff test. That has to be true. But this is this is this side of the argument. It's not even a fucking argument. Excuse my French. This is just them with red herring, half truths, and full lies. Yeah, it's, about it's, about transgender people and especially transgender youth. Deliberate obfuscation, like taking things. The word that gets me, where that always gets me, is the word decide. Yeah, that the, the, the four-year-old decided. They're not deciding anything of, of the sort. The only decision is whether or not they're going to try and be healthy. Well, and you, you and Kate mentioned this in the podcast. There's, we don't question a child who comes out as cisgender at two, three, four years old and starts yanking on their willy and says, "I'm a boy." We don't question that child. 
Right. Absolutely not. We don't do all that. Yet they do this for with, with transgender and gender non-conforming children. And and the other thing that gets me, the other burr in my um, my saddle and all this stuff and all these metaphors that I'm throwing out here is the fact that we're doing this for the child's best interest in the child's best interest that they that we do this. No, this is no. not in the child's best interest. This is you doing a fear reaction, mom and dad. This is not you thinking about the children. No, it's not. And, you know, so four years old. Yeah, we're going to talk about that kid. We, we've had Celine Gugulos on here. You pronounce her name so much better than I do. I, I will give you, yep. Yeah, but no, I mean, this is strictly social transition at four or five years old. To, this is just letting the kid explore and drive this. And then Tucker comes out and says, oh, small children on puberty blockers. That's such, no, nobody's putting a young kid on puberty blockers. Puberty blockers aren't going to start until there's an actual puberty involved. Absolutely. And it just buys the family and the kid time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what that's what Kate was saying. I got to remember to call her Kate, not Dr. Greenberg, because we're friends now because she was on our show. Exactly. Friend of the show, Kate Greenberg, we're going to call her from now on. And she should put that. I, I'm going to wait to see that on the University of Rochester letterhead that she sends us. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. This is this is deliberate mis. Construe and, and and I think I really think that we're going to see things like the Family Resource Council, especially because Biden won the presidency, and there seem there's going to, it looks like there's going to be uh, should things turn out properly in Georgia that there's going to be at least two years where the uh, the Republicans are going to be completely out of power, and I think what they're doing is they're trying to fan the flames and they're trying to find hot button items with uh, with people. Uh, to 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 make them scared and to make them uh, distrust us uh, because they go after this they go uh, Tucker Carlson went on to like paint Biden as like you know he wants to let biological men into the bathrooms into women's bathrooms. Gosh, yeah. this 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 decision was just made. This the the Supreme Court wouldn't even hear this yeah. for schools this week. They said, nah, we're we're good. But yeah. no, they keep bringing the. Sh- Can I run through my list here, Tucker? Because this, this please do this asshole. I couldn't so, do. It. I just want to say I couldn't. I, I I would like write down. I'm like, yeah. I was the only thing. Like if if I if I had written my notes on, I would just been like a page of. Yeah. But this is the stuff that I'm studying and researching, and I don't even. I didn't even have to go, like. No, you know, Tucker says that we're going to, you know, damaging bodies. No, puberty blockers, later regret. Yeah, but we've already, we talked about that with Kate. It's like less than 1% of transgender people detransition. And as Kate mentioned with this, you know, with this young person in England who had, you know, She's Kira had, Bell. Her name is Kira Bell. I didn't even want to mention her name. Yeah, but yeah but, Kira Bell. But yeah, I feel sorry for her. She's had a tough life. I don't disagree with that. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, but if you have a kid 16, 17 years old saying, put me on puberty blockers, you know, you know, and they're and they're adamant that this is really who they are. There's not a medical professional out there or mental health counselor who's not going to take that person seriously on either yeah. side of the equation, trans femme or trans masculine. And so, and then Tucker uses this word grotesque. Oh God, yeah. It's just such a scare, a scare and fear-based. I mean, these people are operating. I hate saying these people, but you know, yeah. people like Tucker Carlson are dealing with this amygdala, the backside of their brain that's uh, that's fight or flight. And they're trying, and they're just, it's 
strictly fear-based response. And it is just a sad commentary. On, and these people are doing it on purpose. Yeah, you need to be miserable in order for me to not be uncomfortable. Yeah. And then the Target book ban. If Target decides not to carry a pair of jeans or a line of clothing, nobody says anything. But if somebody comes out with an anti-scientific bullshit book about transgender kids and populations, Target has a right as a business not to carry that. That's, yeah, that is up to them. Yeah, and so many of us have book deals with that where Target is carrying our books. That's that's definitely speaking to the masses there. Yeah, and I mean, it's just like, no, the First Amendment applies to government, not private organizations, you dumbass. Yeah, and you know, if you get fired, it's because you're you're doing something that is reprehensible and that it, that people don't want to hear or hear happen. So, yeah. and he started that by the way, I didn't, I, I just wanted to put a little bit, I got as much as I could stand uh, of him in here, but he starts out with like, you know, like, you know, you know, saying what, the, what this parent did when listening to their child who said that they are, they want to use feminine pronouns is that this would have been a criminal act a couple of years ago. Um, under what? Under where? Ooh, yeah, what? exactly, exactly. That's that's how we started it. And just been, and here, here's the other thing. Just like Kate was saying, just because that kid right now says that they want to be using feminine pronouns doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to transition. This is yes, they are, they are, they have, they they feel more comfortable using feminine pronouns, and then they're going to look at that and they're going to figure out for themselves, just like everybody else figures out for themselves how they want to live their lives. This is just opening up an avenue that is needs to be open for some kids. Yeah, and and but they says it's a nationwide epidemic. Yeah. Well, excuse me. According to the Williams Center of Law at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. The trans population is 0.6 of 1%. Yeah. What's it's a, what, a 0.6 of a percent. Oh, excuse me. 0.6% 6, 6 of the population. I misspoke there on my percentages. Yeah. The, you know, okay, maybe it's a little bit higher with the younger generation. So maybe, but still, maybe 1%, 2% of kids, if that. And I mean, and, and that's fine. Let's take a look at research and understand what's going on, why so many kids are coming out, especially females. I have no problem researching and trying to understand this and what's going on, phenomenally speaking, as somebody who's, you know, scientifically approaching this, you know, yeah, I want to figure this out because as Kate mentioned, and as, as I feel the same, as I pre prepare to go into my career as a mental health counselor, I want to make sure we're getting the right people, the right level of care. Yeah, I don't absolutely. want. I don't want to see somebody detransition. I don't want somebody to regret getting a surgery. I don't want that. I want people to go through this process and find fulfillment and satisfaction and a reduction of mental health. you know, a improvement in their mental health outcomes. Yeah, like I, I said, yeah, like, like I said in my TED talk, that the my my second TED talk, what you know, all we're doing is trying to help these kids live the best life possible. And as a parent, that should be your only goal is to help your child live their best life possible, not what you think their life should be, not what their genitals tell you you think their child should be, your child should be. Just who is your child? How do we help them be the best adult, the best human being that they can possibly be? And this is just fear-mongering and destroying lives in the name of comfort for other people. And I just I'm, I'm done talking about this right now, Amy. I think we're, uh, I'm really glad that Kate came on. I'm glad that we had this talk, but I could just, I think we need to do, we come back and revisit this a couple more times. I quite honestly, I think we got yeah. several shows worth of content here. Well, these are the same people though, that, you know, 
calling, you know, transgender youth an epidemic that, you know, don't want to wear a mask and think COVID's made up and the vaccines yeah. and the yeah. vaccine's going to trace you throughout the whole fucking universe. An actual epidemic, an actual freaking pandemic is not a big deal, but kids trying to be happy is apparently something that is, you know, that that's the sort of contagion we need. It's kids being happy. Imagine that people, people living a happy, healthy life. Oh my God. That's, that's, that's against that's a, that's not in the Bible. What, what we conservatives have to bitch about. Exactly. If we don't, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's that, you know, adversarial based relationships that they always look for. It's like that we have to have somebody to point at for our misery. My life would be better if only you did this. Fascism 101. Yeah. It's their fault. Absolutely. Always find somebody to point at. Uh, I'm pointing at you, Amy, saying thank you very much for, for, for being my partner in this. Um, but we've got, uh, we've got, there's, you know, more stuff to talk about in this that I, than we have time for today. Uh, but I, I oh. want to thank once again, Dr. Kate Greenberg for coming on our show and, and being so um, compassionate and illuminating and um, thoughtful and just an amazing human being. And I just felt inspired and better about the world for having talked to her. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thankful that she came on. I think, you know, my my big takeaway from this episode is, is that people like Dr. Greenberg and Kate, now that we're friends too. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 we're going we're gonna to have dinner next week. Um, maybe after the pandemic, after I get that vaccine. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, you know, she answered a lot of questions that I struggle with, you know, as I go into this profession. And, you know, I want to be able to help, you know, and she's, she's the same way. We want to be able to help the right people get to the right level of care. And you need to approach these topics very, very professionally, very sincerely, and have very honest conversations, respect people with where they're at in their faith and their life. But at the same time, also understand what's really on the line for trans and gender diverse individuals that there is real mental health on the line, yeah. their, their lives on the line. Yeah. And that's why I was, why I was kind of sitting back on this one. I mean, you guys are both in that same field. You're both, she is doing the work and you are studying to, to do the work. And it was, it was very illuminating for me uh, as a, I don't want to say disinterested, but somebody who's, you know, you guys are doing the work. I'm just telling fucking stories over here. So, but it was, dude, it was really good to hear, the conversation between the two of you it, it, it helped it's helping me uh you know actually it's validating my worldview you're saying the things that i thought were true and um fuck everybody who who's like trying to hurt kids that's that's the only thing i gotta say yeah modern research supports your your childhood experience it really yeah. does and, every, and yeah, it, it, everybody's childhood experience really yeah cis and trans you know I agree. Well, that's going to be it for this week's uh, edition of Transformation Thursday. Thanks for listening, Amy. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on here with me and being so damn cute all the time. Yes, I. No, am. no, don't show me your tits. I've seen before. You've seen one. You've seen them both. Here, you look at mine. Then there. Look at that. There you go. That's some magnificence right there. It's been a good year for us and our boobies. That'll do it for this week's edition of Transformation Thursday. If you like what you heard, please support us on Patreon and uh, keep listening and spread the word about what a quality little podcast this is. Got anything else to add, Amy? Penny? Yes? Good night.
Good night, Amy.